Well, Isaiah's writing to um, people who are going to be suffering. They're not there yet. Um, remember Isaiah is an 8th century prophet and he's really talking about the coming of the um, captivity in, in Babylon. Um, but in chapter 49, there's a, there's a turn um, and he begins to talk about the servant of the Lord leading up to a climax in Isaiah 53 where he's talking about the suffering servant. Um, uh, the way the Jews interpret uh, Isaiah 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, um, wherever it talks about the servant of the Lord, um, they interpret that as applying to them. Okay, So they are the servant that is to suffer for the world. Um, and they talk about all the sufferings that they've gone through to uh, demonstrate that. But it's very clear as we looked at last week that when God's talking about the servant, He's talking about an individual who is going to uh, restore uh, Jacob and Israel. So it's an individual who is the servant of the Lord who's going to restore the people of God. And uh, it's not uh, the Jewish nation. It is the Messiah who's going to, to do that. We'll read again about the suffering servant or the servant who's going to come and, uh, and deliver his people. We read another aspect of that this morning in Isaiah chapter 50. And he begins by talking to us about the stubborn sufferer. The stubborn sufferer. The Lord says, uh, thus says the Lord, um, where is your mother's certificate of divorce and with which I sent her away? Uh, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Um, that sounds like um, it sounds like God is saying to them, well, you know, well, where is this divorce certificate that I gave? Um, and uh, but that's not the point. The point is that Israel is accusing God of divorcing their mother and of selling them into uh, to creditors, and it's his fault. It's not theirs. Um, and we see that, uh, that answer coming from God in the next clause which states, Behold, your iniquities, it's your iniquities that you were sold uh, into slavery. It's your iniquities, your transgressions uh, uh, that caused the certificate of divorce to be written. It's not God's fault, it's your fault. You're the one who is at fault here. He asked a question, in it, and it's, it's one of those places where you begin to think, if you think across the, the, the revelation of God in Scripture, he asked, well, why when I came was there no man? Uh, why when I called was there no one to answer? Um, is my hand shortened that it cannot be saved? In other words, when I called to you through the prophet, nobody answered me. I've called you to repentance, but there's been no repentance. I've called you to turn to me, but you don't turn to me. There's no one to answer. My hand's not too short to save you. It's that you won't take you won't you won't take advantage of what I've called of the salvation that I've presented to you. You won't you won't respond to me the way that you should. You won't respond in repentance. 
And he asks this question, is my hand too short? And he brings it up again. We've seen this over and over again in Isaiah. Um, By my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. And I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. Well, probably he's referring here to the Exodus, right? You remember when he went to the Egyptians? You know, their fish stank and, you know, he dried up the waters of the Red Sea. There was a great darkness that came over the land. So there's these, what we call echoes or allusions back to the book of Exodus. But it's also the case that God is declaring that he's the creator. I, I create all things. I make all things. I do all this. I, it's me. I'm God. And I'm offering you this opportunity to repent and believe. And you don't answer. You do not respond. It's held out before you. I send my prophets to you. And you do nothing with what they say. And so instead of res- repenting, they blame God for their problems. Well, people today do that too. We blame God for everything. We rarely look to ourselves um, as as the problem. You know, uh, we we could say that you don't always suffer for some specific sin. That's true, um, but it is because of sin that we suffer, right? Because man, we live in a broken world. And so we're going to suffer the consequences of a broken world, of a sinful world. And so um, that's not God. We can't blame God for that because we're all we're sinners. Even when we want to do right, we do wrong. Even when we want to do right, there's evil is present within us, and we stumble and fall. And so we can't blame God for all everything that happens to us. Sickness and death come because of sin. On the other hand, there are particular sins that we commit that result in our suffering. And again, it's not God's fault that we're suffering. We're suffering because we've sinned. So if we go into debt with credit cards way over our head and we end up in trouble, we can't say, well, you know, God was mean to me. No, he wasn't. You were stupid. What can I say? <clears throat> I've been stupid before, so we can all stand in the line of stupidity. Well, some can't, but or some won't, but I will. You know, I stand there. Maybe the first. But yes, it's wrong. See? And we suffer for that. You know, someone has AIDS. Well, maybe they repent. Maybe they say, God, forgive me. God does forgive them, but there are consequences that that follow that sin. Someone commits murder, and they, you know, God, forgive me. Well, that's fine. God will forgive me. There are consequences that that flow from, from that sin. And you can't say that it's God's fault. It's not God's fault. It's yours. And so God tells these stubborn sufferers to... Pay attention. God is not at fault for their suffering. They are at fault. Secondly, we read about the servant who submits. He's in fact the exact opposite of the stubborn sufferer. Because this servant submits to suffering even when he's done nothing wrong. But he's not blaming God. Verse 4, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word uh, him who is weary. Um, 
morning by morning, we, He awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Um, the Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. The idea of opening the ear is the idea of being obedient. Okay, that's the basic idea. That's an image, right? He opens your ears so you can hear. We can also read that He opens our hearts so that we respond uh, to Him from the heart. Those are all images to get our attention to say, listen, this, this person, the one who's speaking, the Lord God has given me uh, the tongue of those who are taught. He's talking about a specific individual. And this individual is someone who obeys God, who is not rebellious. <clears throat> I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike. <clears throat> and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Now stop for just a moment. What does that remind you of? Remind you of Christ when he's standing before the judgment, when when he's taken into into custody, into custody, I guess, or prison, and it's the Roman soldiers. What are they doing? They're pulling out his beard. They're spitting in his face. They're slapping his face. They're striking him. He doesn't turn his back. He's he doesn't turn away from that. He doesn't avoid that kind of suffering. Why? Because his hope is in the Lord. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. I'm not going to change. It's not, I'm not going to move from this. I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. What do we think of when we think of that? Christ on the cross, right? He's hanging there. And what are the Jews saying to Him? They're saying, hey, if you're, if you're the Son of God, you know, come down off the cross you know, and, and prove this to us. He trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord save Him. Well, they missed the point. Um, the Lord Jesus isn't justified by their accepting of His miracles or anything. He's justified by His Father. He's justified by the one who put him on the cross. And so, who is his adversary? Well, he doesn't have one. Who's going to accuse him? Nobody. Remember what Jesus said? Which of you accuses me of sin? Well, none of them could. And they crucified him anyway because his trust was completely in in the Lord. And the Lord did save him. Oh, we read about that in Philippians 2, 1-11. You know, he was equal with God, but he didn't count that as equality to be something to be grasped or held on to. Uh, but he submitted himself, he emptied himself, he became, took the form of a servant, uh, and he was obedient, even uh, to the point of death, even, and Paul emphasizes it, even death on the cross. It's not just death. Jesus didn't just die a death like, I'm going to die. He died death on a cross, which was really a curse. He died. He became a curse for us. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so Christ suffered, and it was the Lord who justified Him. Not us. Not men. The Lord delivered Him. And we read at the end of Philippians that then... 
you know, because of his obedience, what happens? He is exalted to the to the highest level, and, and and God says, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's a direct allusion, not even an allusion. It's almost a quote right out of Isaiah, speaking of the Lord Yahweh. He's exalted to the throne of God. And He did that for us. He gave His back for me. He gave His cheeks for me. They spit in His face for me. And because we're in Christ, you see, we can say, they did it to us. They did it to us because they did it to Him. And just like anybody does anything to us today, they're doing it to Him. That's when Paul was persecuting the church. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Why? Well, because we're in union with Christ, right? Whatever is His is ours, and whatever ours is His. And when we suffer, He suffers. I mean, not in the same sense, of course, but we suffer, and He, he, he holds us up in the midst of that. So our Chinese brothers and sisters in, in China who are suffering, um, the ones in India uh, who are suffering um, because Hinduism wants to be the only religion and, and they're persecuting Christians. They're, they make them leave their homes, for goodness sake. They make them leave their land. Um, they have to move to other little towns or villages where they can be accepted, uh, where there's other Christians there So they're, um, because they're kicked out of their own. Sometimes their own families kick them out. I mean, this is, we don't know what this is like. We, you know, Americans have lived an easy life. I mean, we've had some hard times, but it's nothing like what I've seen, what I read about anyway, in China and in India. Nepal is uh, not as bad, but it is bad because they don't have as many Christians there. Um, so, um, but God is at work. And He understands and He knows. What we got to understand is that Christ called us to follow Him. And the, and the way of Christ is the way of the cross. Dying to ourselves every day. And sometimes that means just saying no to sin. Other times it means carrying a cross in the sense of suffering. Um, because we're called to be like Him and to submit like Him. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 2 again, he says, let this mind uh, being you as, is also, as was also in Christ Jesus. Be submissive to God. Be a servant to the Lord. Do His will. When you suffer, then suffer for His will. And don't worry about it. Because He'll take care. And as He exalted Christ, we're exalted in Christ. So then we had the, the stubborn sufferer. We've looked at the servant who submits. Finally, think about the servant who signals the stubborn. And by signal, I mean he warns them. He warns them. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. You read something similar to that in the book of Hebrews when when the writer is talking about the creation, that the creation is going to wear out and, uh, you know, the Lord's going to fold up everything in like, like a cloth. Um, but, you know, moth and rust destroy here. 
Um, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Whose servant? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the servant who has been talked about in verses 4 and following. He was talked about in, ver- in chapter 49. The servant, the servant of the Lord who's there to save. And we'll read more about him as we go through and we come to Isaiah 53. It's going to be the servant who suffers. Who suffers not for his own sake, but suffers for the sake of his people. Let him who walks in the darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You see, now again, you're going to see images of this come up in the Gospel of John. Um, uh, the Gospel of John is full of, of themes, like full of this theme of walking in darkness and having no light and trusting in God. Those themes recur in John. Why? Because John, I believe, his gospel takes us back to Isaiah more than any place. In fact, the book of Isaiah has been called by the early church the fifth gospel. Why? Well, they believed that when you went to the book of Isaiah and you began to preach in it, what you saw there was the gospel um, given uh, and, and the gospel being preached, as it were, before Christ came. Because it kept pointing to Him and they... they, they they talked about it in that sense. And they interpreted it like that too. So behold all you who kindle fire, who equip yourselves with burning torch, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. And what? You shall lie down in torment. Well, how does that all fit together? Well, God has given them the light that they have. They don't respond. God has given them the servant that He tells them to listen to and they won't. God has sent them prophets before. He's going to send them prophets again. And then He's going to send the servant. And they don't listen to Him either. And what's going to happen? Well, they're going to lie down in torment. That's the warning. We come, we believe in Christ, we trust in Christ, and if we don't, then we are lost. It's, the, the gospel's very clear. In him was eternal life. Right? You either receive Christ, you either believe and trust in him, or you believe and you trust in something else. And that's what these folks are doing in Isaiah's day. They're trusting in something else. They were trusting in Assyria for a while. They're trusting in Egypt for a while. They were even trusting in Babylon until Babylon overthrew Judah. So they had all their trust in everything around them. Wealth. They had wealth. They had, you know, they had gold. They had riches. They trusted in everything, but they wouldn't listen to the Word of God. The Word of God fell on deaf ears. And so what happens is that they will lay down in torment because the day is going to come when when all the gifts that God has given them, all the all the calling that God has given them to follow and listen to the servant um, will finally come to an end. And then and then there'll be the judgment. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. The God takes the gospel seriously. Okay? God takes I don't think American Christianity takes the gospel very serious. I'm afraid that sometimes I don't even take the gospel as serious as I should. But the reality is 
If people do not believe in Christ, they are condemned already. Okay? And this is a hard thing. We were talking about this this morning in our Christian education class. We were talking about Jonah. You know, Jonah had a difficult task before him. He had to go and preach repentance to not just his enemies. It wasn't bad enough there was enemies. He hated them. Right? Jonah had no love for the Assyrians. God calls him to go preach, you know. And when they finally did repent, he was mad. He was angry about it. Well, I can identify pretty well with Jonah, you know. Um, well, I don't know if I hate the people as much as he hated the Assyrians. And we could sit back as humans and say, well, he was kind of rightly, he rightly hated them. They were pretty bad people. They were. But God called him to, to go and proclaim to them a message of repentance and faith. And that's what he calls us to do. He calls us to go into a world that's hostile. You know, I mean, America's had it made for a long time. The world wasn't so hostile, but it's getting more and more hostile. I read about, what's his name, Beto, the guy in um, Texas who wants to you know, make sure he taxes all the churches who don't accept the LBGT um, movement. And uh, we've got to accept it and embrace it or we're going to lose our tax-exempt status. And I figure, okay, well, go ahead. You know, um, God doesn't need our tax. He doesn't need our tax exempt status. He doesn't need any of that. We need Him. So it's a dependence upon Him, and our message is similar to Jonah's in the sense that all the way through the Scripture, what you're reading is a call to repentance and faith. It's a call to repentance and faith to Isaiah and the people of his day. It's a call of repentance and faith whether you're well, in a Jonah who goes to Assyria. It's a call of repentance and faith to the Gentile world in which we are part in which, uh, of which we are a part. We are called to proclaim a gospel of repentance and faith. And the warning is this. He who believes is saved. He who does not believe is condemned already. When we read that, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He who does not believe um, does not have life. End of discussion. And that's a hard message to preach. I look at you guys and I say, that's, that's the message of the Gospel. Believe or perish. Don't have much, not much in between. Nothing in between. And so this morning as we think about Isaiah 50 and we're going to, again, we're only in Isaiah 50. We're moving to uh, Isaiah 53 which is kind of like the apex where we have the suffering servant. Um, but this morning we looked at the stubborn su- uh, sufferer which is somewhat like we are sometimes when we want to blame God for our problems and the problem is us. We looked at this servant who submits and we're called to actually be submissive like him to have his mind and to serve Him. And then finally, the servant who signals, that is, warns the stubborn, warns those who do not, um, do not believe. Um, we are called to that same ministry. So as we think about Isaiah 50 this morning, remember those three details and pray that God would give us, all of us, individually and corporately, a heart to signal the stubborn and to call them to repentance and faith. Let's pray.
Our God in heaven, we do give you thanks for your love and your goodness. We thank you for the book of Isaiah. It's a, both a challenge to work through and a joy um, to work through. Um, it sometimes presents me with an enigma, um, but yet the, the light is so bright and shining that um, it's hard to miss. And so uh, as we go through this book, and we're coming to the end of it soon, uh, we do pray that what we would see in there is what you want us to see. That we would see uh, the message of Christ declared to us brightly um, throughout Isaiah. And we pray, our God, that uh, we would understand and appreciate not only that truth, but the truth that throughout Isaiah, you are presented as the King, the Sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And uh, we pray, our God, that you would help us to realize that as we face the, the issues of our day and the struggles that we are looking at possibly coming upon us and the struggles that our brothers and sisters around the world are enduring. Help us to understand like the servant understood uh, that you are the one who justifies. You are the one who saves. Your arm has not been shortened. You are the one who saves us. You are the one who spares us. You are the one who gives us life. Help us always to think about that, to dwell upon that, and in the midst of our dark times, to rejoice in the fact that you are the God of our salvation. We ask you this through Christ our Lord. Amen.